Welcome to the Sound in Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Gina Isham, owner and founder of Dreamer Productions and Sound in Marketing Learning. I create, consult, and educate brands and individuals on the power of sound in marketing. For this season, I wanted to focus on definitions because if you don't fundamentally understand the industry, it's harder to navigate it and harder to ultimately succeed. And that's why every episode will start with what is. Today, we will be defining sensory perception with a very special guest. Alejandro Salgado, PhD in experimental psychology from Oxford, UK, CEO and co-founder of Atriana, is an expert in neurosciences, sense hacking, and engineering of emotions. He dedicated his life to understand and predict human behavior using machine psychology and has worked with more than 40 brands in more than 25 countries on projects related to sensory experience design, product development, and marketing. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Gina. I'm so happy to be here and um, looking forward to our conversation about uh, sensory perception. You know, I started with being fascinated by music because I'm a composer, obviously. Then I got into marketing and through marketing, I realized sensory marketing and perception and perception and cognitive biases and psychology and anthropology is so bizarre. And so I'm really, really excited to dig into the more scientific side of things with you. So thank you for being here. All in. I think we share a lot of uh, common interests uh, in, in this. So excited. So why don't we go ahead and start off with your background, what qualifies you to speak on this, uh, and the company that you work with. Give us a little bit of background. My career started a bit sort of um, bumpy, if, if, we could, if we could call it that. So I started studying economics, and I thought, yes, economics is the thing I want to do. And honestly, the, the thing was, I saw in economics the, the possibility of understanding behavior, right? Like they got all these mathematics, and then you study how people make choices. So I thought, that's cool. Then I took a, a course on, on psychology when I was an undergrad and I said, wow, this is awesome, right? And I quickly switched majors, right? So I got all the maths from economics for about uh, a whole year, a, couple, a bit more. Uh, but then I switched to, to psychology and I started looking at uh, sort of the brain and, and human behavior. And, and that got me really passionate about, uh, well, understanding the machinery behind perception. And after that, I founded my first company, which was a market research company that we sold last year after 10 years of working with it. Um, and throughout this time, I've, I've created actually five companies, two in the UK, uh, one in Mexico, and uh, a couple more in, in, in South America, where we've done a lot of work. So I've, I've had a, a very good experience working with a lot of Fortune 500 companies and uh, really big sort of brands in Asia and uh, Europe and, and North and, and, and in Latin America. Uh, mostly consumer categories, uh, restaurants, and uh, sort of entertainment, right? Like sort of a streaming and things like that, music. Um, and in, in parallel, I've always taught at a university. So I've, I've been a teacher for 14 years now. Uh, about 2013, I, I started my PhD in, in experimental psychology in, at the University of Oxford and finished it uh, like three, four years later. Uh, and I focused most of my work on sensory perception, right? And how you can sort of hack the brain to make it feel and experience different things, right? Like how can you change a taste through sound or how can you uh, change the, the texture of something through a smell, right? Thing, things like that. So I kind of dedicated four years of my life uh, at Oxford to, to think about, to thinking about that. And the last company I founded now is a company dedicated to integrating um, neuroscience, psychology and physics with machine learning to develop algorithms that in some way substitute market research. What we do is, 
we create simulations of how people will react to sensory stimuli and create estimations as to what would be, for example, the best packaging to convey sweetness or smoothness or the best hair or kind of thing. So that's that's what I've been up to. That's it, I guess. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's an understatement. Um, I love I love how you kind of it, it feels like you layered on the senses on the sensory perception thing. So you're talking about how you can um, manipulate taste with, um, uh, I don't know, you listed a lot of stuff, but then the packaging, like how can the packaging even uh, enlist a certain perception of taste? Uh, There's just so many options out there. Um, There's five senses, but I feel like there's like 5,000 combinations. combinations. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. (laughs) It's so wonderful. I've I've done a um a fair bit of uh following of Steve Keller from Pandora Pandora now Sirius XM and he's been doing a lot of stuff. I think he coined the phrase sonic seasonings. And so he's been exploring like salty and uh sour and all of that stuff and I've seen I believe Bex uh won an award at Cannes this year for um making the beer uh, more or less sour, depending on the frequency that they were playing for this like study group. It's just so fascinating to me. I met him when I was in Oxford, and anyway, and and he's such a cool guy, and he does really clever stuff. You know, uh, he's such he's he's so so much fun to work with, actually. So yeah, yeah, he does, and yeah, the sonic seasoning thing is is remarkable. It's wonderful. I I love all of the papers that he's been co-publishing lately. Let's step back for just a second because we just unpacked a lot of things. Uh, if you were to define sensory perception in a, sh- a shorter verse, how would you define sensory perception? It's one of those things where you say, well, if you actually go to a textbook and you just open it, it's going to be like a really simple thing, like a couple sentences and you're done with it. But the problem is the more you study something, the more complicated it gets. And I think that I would say that very easily we could talk about sensory perception as the process through which we um, sort of capture uh, reality or experience. And I think that that could be a, a sort of definition. But then you end up with a problem, which is what is reality? And uh, does it even exist? And if it exists, how do we know? And then that makes things very tricky. We're taking the blue pill or the red pill on the matrix or something like that. Wonderful metaphor, yes. <laughs> Or both at the same time, because it's part of, there's a part of you're aware of, think you, you know things and everything, but then your brain is kind of working in the back, telling you what to do to some degree. And then the question is, how much is you and how much is your brain uh, really defining your perception? And I, I think that's very difficult. I think that was kind of where I was, I was going to go with it is how much of this are you cognitive of and how much of this is just something that's working in the background that you're not aware of? Because I know of um, like some studies with implicit bias or implicit perception where people were thinking they, they, they were, they were verbalizing how they felt one way, but their brainwaves were saying another story. With that, wow, that's, that's so cool. I can't like what you do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really excited about this field, honestly. <laughs> and I think it's, it's not only that there is sometimes a discrepancy between what you say or what you believe and what's going on inside of you. It's that sometimes you, you, your brain doesn't necessarily agree with all of it. You've got a part of you. So think of it as like a vectors, right? Like you have a direction and a magnitude inside of you. And what happens is that there's a part of you that says, well, that's delicious and that's amazing. And I want that brownies, right? You know, I love brownies and cookies. So my brain is like brownies and cookies. 
But then uh, there's a party who says like, well, you know, we haven't done a lot of exercise recently, you know, and that brownie is going to make you suffer, man. And then you're like, no, what do I do? So you've got these competing sort of vectors, these attitudes towards things. So your brain is kind of pulling you everywhere. And then you've got your consciousness, which is the little part of your brain that is you, Gina or Alejandro or whoever. Then your brain is kind of saying, well, someone's got to make the decision, right? So like, Gina, what, what do we do? Do we want to get fat or do we want to get happy? And then it's just kind of telling you, do something about it. And then there's this part of you that kind of makes the choice. Um, but it's not really that you've analyzed everything and then you've calculated all these sort of options and these risks. But it's kind of just your brain is giving you stuff and you've got this experience and you kind of sum it up or average it or in some way bias it. You convince yourself that, well, I'll work out more tomorrow. So you end up eating the brownie or you say, no, I'm going to be tough today and I'm going to be disciplined and I'm going to keep strong and then well you end up saying no but it's it's kind of like a conclusion rather than the whole experience so if you ask someone well what do you think what you're really telling them is can you please tell me what's your the summary of your experience and if you ask them for more well you can't because the brain might not let you see the whole behind the scenes it's like you can't see the camera that's filming the movie you can't see the the green screen in star wars so that's kind of what happens in the brain. You kind of get the final thing. And even the consumer, the, the person that is there, may not even know what is going on inside of them. I hope you're enjoying the show. For more on sound and marketing, check out soundandmarketing.com. This is where I house all the good stuff, like articles that I reference, media that I'm a part of, courses on sound's power and influence in marketing, and pretty much everything else that has to do with sound in marketing. For sound strategy and sonic branding creation, my company, Dreamer Productions, would love to chat with you. Check out the end of the episode for contact information or check out the show notes from this episode. We would love to help you make sound on purpose. Now back to the show. This kind of proves that that there are voices in your head. <laughs> that you've got like multiple, not personalities, but multiple voices going on triggering you. Yeah, definitely some something like like that and and i guess everyone experiences it different there's people that have a lot of mental images visual mental images some people actually have a voice some people don't right? that that's been i think recently published uh, and i guess because we all sort of represent uh, our thoughts and our experiences differently we may have some variability even in how we respond to the questions we ask when we say what is reality and why didn't you eat that brownie or why didn't I eat that brownie? Which would be my question, honestly, more more than than the first one. Yeah, and that that brings up a good point. How um, some of us have, we we all attribute information in our brains differently, and then they come out differently. Which means we have the five senses that we need to incorporate. We can't just try and tap in on touch or taste or sight or smell. I feel like there needs to be an an attribute of all in one way or another, um, even if you're not, you know, like say you're, you're selling a toy, you're not actually going to have to market it through taste marketing, but I feel like the creator and the presenter of it should have some sort of an idea. I, I feel like, does this make sense? Like it, it's, it's like having a, uh, a brand persona. It's not real, but you have to like kind of develop all of it in order to fully transmit what you're selling. That's, that's great. And I, and I think if I'm getting like what, you, what you're saying is that in the end, we, we can't just kind of take bits of it, right? Like saying, I'm just going to take this bit and, and that's fine. But the question is, well, reality is a, a whole thing, right? So you can't just kind of 
take it apart and assume that if you take it apart, you'll understand it. And perhaps because of that is, is that we love those experiences that seem to understand these rules, right? Like uh, going to the movies or eating at a really good restaurant where the chef, even if he doesn't know all the rules of perception, he kind of does in the sense that he really masters how to, to apply them. He might not be able to tell you how the, the machine works, but he definitely knows how to, to tap into it, right? And to, and to hack our experience. But I also think it's, it's a lot about um, our problem with categories as humans. We really like categories as humans. We categorize everything all the time, almost, or, or even automatically, right? Uh, uh, and, and, and that has uh, um, sort of some benefits, right? When you categorize things, you simplify what you need to know to make a decision. So that's pretty good, right? When you say uh, ice cream shop, you don't have to say, well, what does an ice cream shop sell? Like, don't worry about it. It's fine. They sell ice cream, right? You don't have to call them and say, by the way, do you still sell ice cream? I was like, well, it says ice cream in the front, so pretty sure, right? So you don't need to, to suffer so much about having all the data all the time, right? But the problem with that is that sometimes when you categorize, you may actually reduce uh, your understanding of the experience, right? So we have that problem with, with things like race and uh, with uh, gender and with so many issues right now. And it does have a lot to do with sensory experience because then the way you categorize also defines how you will interpret your sensory experience. Uh, and because of this obsession and because of how, how we've categorized socially, we've also transferred that to science, right? So we talk about taste and touch and sound and things like they're separate sort of, uh, right? Like islands or, or, or at least countries with, with borders and, and then you can't cross them. But the brain is kind of saying, well, I don't care about your categorization. I'm just going to do my thing. Then we both study it. Or when we go think about a product or how we design an experience out in the real world, if we have these categories and they're so fixed and rigid, we'll have a problem. Uh, because then the brain will say, I don't really understand why the packaging is only visual. But then how do I know what it tastes like from the packaging? And then right, you, you kind of fail in bringing sort of that whole experience together. I think that's a very good point, like where we are societally, globally, societally, with all of the um, the issues that have come forefront. And I think the reason that we've been so sensitive to it is because we were locked down. We were all at home and we had all this extra time to process these things that were happening. This is a very interesting time for people like you that are exploring the senses and, um, you know, the, the cognitive design of all of this. Have you have you seen any uh, fascinating studies that have been put forward? There's really good work, for example, in um, on on one side, uh, just how by understanding the architecture of our experience, we can then help people that have had a, for example, a stroke or have had some sort of difficulty in um, in the way they perceive the world. Where initially, what we would say is, oh, you you can't. Um, I don't know, you can't have some attention to your right side, right? Like you can't see things like, right? So you help that person actually uh, do it um, and you, rudimentarily, right? You, you, you tell them, look here, do this. But now that we know that sound is connected to it because of how we go to the movies and by, because of neuroscience, then we can help them actually use sounds to increase the accuracy at which the brain learns to or relearns to look at the right side of the brain after a stroke, for example, right? Like, what happens then is that you, there's a part of your brain that some neurons might die, right? And there's a part of your brain that is actually in charge of controlling attention to one side or the other. So if you lose it, you actually can't, you, well, you can see it, but you're not aware of, for example, a part of your visual field. 
So for example, when you eat, you eat part of your plate, but you can't see that part. So you, you leave food or if you draw a clock, right? Uh, it'll have all the numbers sort of crunched up on one side because you can't actually see the whole circle. So you kind of think like, well, this is a really weird circle. I'm not just going to draw it here, but you can't see the other part of it, right? So to help them realize that and, and become more effective, usually what you would just did to like just turn the, the plate or think that you can't see everything, right? But it was very difficult. But now, because we know about the connection between the senses, you can actually teach them more accurately, more quickly to relearn these things for the brain to understand where they're going. So that, that's a really cool example of things that are ongoing. And, and I actually worked, had the opportunity to work with a fantastic scientist, Glenn Humphreys at Oxford, who sadly died a few years ago, but he was a, a giant in the field. And, and, and he was one of the leading experts in, in sort of these ideas of how to use multisensory perception to help people relearn or, or in some way learn to live with certain changes through their sensory experience after, after different neurological damages. How do you use sound to help somebody who is recovering from sight on one side? Is, is it a frequency thing? Is it uh, an instrumental thing? How does that work? It's great. So yes, uh, sort of, for example, the, the pitch, the frequency of the sound, for example, might tell you the location. So we know that, for example, high pitch things are small and high up and low pitch things are like heavier and, and, and lower. Right? So you have these associations. So you want to teach them to look up right, and to be aware of it. You give them a sound first and then they become better. At it and then they can do it without the sound but because you've helped them integrate more senses right so by having two senses that help them what you're telling the brain is this is really important pay attention to it so the brain's saying oh great i'll pay attention to it and then you help it right kind of automatically sort of look up or look up left or up, up right right so it's, it's kind of easier for it uh, to do that and you can do it with um for sports as well right so rowers and sort of t uh, sports that require some synchrony or precision uh, in teams, right? So sounds might help them synchronize better or to understand how to move better. Um, I actually have a paper that comments on this that I've published in Experimental Brain Research a few years ago on how you can use sound to communicate distance and position and locations and and different things. You need to send me that when you have it published. <laughs> That's oh, it's, it's already it's already out there. Oh, it's published. Oh, okay. Yeah, send I think it to it was me. two or three years ago, but yeah, it's 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 out there. I'll send it to you. Oh, wonderful. I'll put it into the show notes so everyone can partake. So, some, some of my audience likes to geek out like oh, I awesome. do. That's Not great. all of them, That's but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that actually, that reminded me, there's another one, I think it was through Cannes this year, um, and uh, I'm spacing the company, but it was a company that was helping some people who were, is it nearsighted or farsighted? I get confused. They They couldn't focus on uh, the, the tennis game, they wanted to watch tennis, but they couldn't follow the ball. And so they had like, I guess, headphones or something that, that like this little girl put on these headphones and it would do like, um, sounds, different pitches and then in different ears, depending on like what player so had cool. it. Yeah, it was really cool. And she was so excited because she'd always have to have her her dad sit next to her and tell her play by play and he'd get exhausted. And so this time she could actually pay attention to the game. That's so cool. And I think right now, uh, it's, I think it's Bradley Vines from, he was a former Nielsen head of consumer neuroscience and he moved to a company. I can't remember the name now, but we, we talked in a panel together. So I, I, I'm always kind of keeping track of him. He's, he's really clever. And, and he's in a company where, they use music to influence sort of your experience, your mental experience, your mood, things like that. And they're working with like really famous composers, uh, like film, like a, but they do the scoring for films and things like that. And they're doing really cool stuff. 
uh, with that. So yeah, that looks really promising as well as a, because it's so easy to deliver music, right? You don't even need a screen. You, you can be anywhere, right? So it, it's so flexible. So that's really interesting. Tune in next week for the conclusion to our conversation. And don't forget to subscribe on all the major podcast channels. Share with friends, follow, and rate. Spread the word because, well, more people should know about this stuff. I know you know that now. For those of you wanting more information on how sonic branding and sound marketing can be utilized within your brand, my company, Dreamer Productions, would love to help you out. We create, consult, and help strategize on how sound can be a more active presence in your marketing. We help you make sound on purpose. For inquiries, go to dreamerproductions.com. That's D-R-E-A-M-R productions.com and send us a message. You can also find me, Gina Isham, on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. All links will be provided in the show notes. Let's make this world of sound more intriguing, more unique, and more and more on brand.